0: Welcome to PACSAFE's Legal Department of the Future podcast. I'm PACSAFE founder and CEO, Brian Powers. In this podcast, I sat down with Alon Ratem, the General Counsel of ThreatUp, where we talk about some of the challenges to building a legal department from the ground up at a unique business like ThreatUp, as well as his thoughts on some changes the coronavirus pandemic are likely to force on the legal profession. So welcome to our latest uh, episode of Legal Departments of the Future. Joining me today is Alan Rotem, the general counsel from ThreadUp. Thanks for joining me today, Elan. Uh, glad to be with you. What's going on, Brian? Just uh, enjoying the uh, quarantine life with the kids. How about you?
1: Yeah, pretty much the same. Um, we, we're in California, so we've been sheltering in place for I think a little over three weeks at this point. Um, and uh, everybody is getting stir crazy, but we're gonna, I think we're gonna stay the course.
0: Same here, although yesterday my daughter gave me a presentation on buying two ducks and it uh, looks like we're adopting two ducklings very soon. So good stuff. Uh, Congratulations. Yeah, I know, I'm excited about that. So Alan, uh, we've uh, we've known each other for, few years now. You have a really interesting background. Um, let's start there. Why don't you tell us about uh, what got you into law and, and
1: how your journey has led you to Thred Up. Sure, sure. So um, I went to um, undergrad at UC Davis um, and had a business degree there and really started off thinking I would just kind of go into business of some sort. Um, I had this really cool internship called student works painting, um, where you essentially run your own house painting business. And then the spring, you get training and you, you kind of go to the neighborhood where you're going to be, uh, working like your territory. Um, and you book all your painting jobs. And then you build like, uh, you know, two or three crews of, of painters. And then in the summer you do all the painting. Um, and in the end, uh, You know, I booked like $80,000 worth of painting jobs um, and made a little money in the process. And it was sort of like my first taste of the business world, you know, sales, marketing, management, um, budgeting, all that kind of stuff. Um, And so, you know, that was super exciting for me, believe it or not. And then uh, from there, I actually have a musician brother who came and moved in with me while I was in college, and we started a record label. Um, He was the music producer, and I would sort of run the label and and get artists um, to come record, and and we would like sell instrumental tracks and all that kind of stuff. Um, So, really, like a a business hustler kind of mentality. Um, And then from there, I graduated college, uh, worked at a consulting firm for like eight months, and totally did not jive with it um, and kind of went into the abyss thinking like, what's next? What am I going to do? And, uh, you know, eventually I settled on going to law school because I guess I'm like a nice Jewish boy. And that's like the, felt like the responsible thing to do. Um, But, uh, (laughs) but I actually really ended up enjoying it. And um, I also figured out that, you know, if I got a law degree, it would sort of be the fast track into like the larger corporate world. Um, just because I'd get to uh, work directly with CEOs and, and and all these sorts of companies doing interesting things. Um, and then specifically, because I'm in the Bay Area, uh, and we had all these tech companies with these younger founders, um, it was just this opportunity to to work with people that maybe were like brilliant, but less sophisticated about kind of the way to run a company and, and all of the legal issues that, that kind of came about. And for me, that was the opportunity to connect with younger, uh, CEOs and sort of work towards becoming their, their trusted business advisor, which was sort of like the, the Holy grail when you're in, when you're in a law firm, that's what they teach you, right? You want to become the trusted business advisor. So that's kind of what I did.
0: From house painting to law school. Um,
1: <laughs> haven't heard that
0: one before. That's pretty cool. You get out of law school, then what happens?
1: So, uh, out of law school, I go to work at a big law firm, uh, called ropes and gray, um, based in Boston, but I worked in the San Francisco office and, um, sort of dabbled in, you know, private equity work, um, uh, venture capital financing, sort of outsourced general counsel type work. Um, and I started kind of getting, you know, my sea legs there. And then the downturn came in, in 08. And, um, all of the work sort of dried up and the partner that had recruited me to ropes and gray actually left to go to another law firm, also a Boston based law firm that had um, recently, you know, opened up its West coast offices. Um, And they had brought in a bunch of West coast partners from some prominent law firms and they actually had some work. So I followed him to that law firm and then uh, that was Goodwin Proctor. And from there sort of rode the wave of the economic recovery um, and, and really uh, got a chance to work with, you know, dozens and dozens of tech companies that, w- that were sort of born out of the recession um, and grew. Um, and then so three and a half or four years later from there, I jumped into one of my clients. Um, to, that was my first in-house role at Rocket Lawyer. Um, which was one of those companies that kind of uh, started out of the recession. Um, and that's where I really first learned what it was like to be an in-house lawyer. Um, and we can jump into all that uh, later on in this conversation. But, um, you know, three and a half years later from Rocket Lawyer, I, I went to another company called ThreadUp, where I am today, um, and ThreadUp was actually also a client of mine when I was at Goodwin Proctor and also was formed in the downturn. Um and uh uh so that's kind of the, the story of uh yeah, I guess from house painting all the way to general counsel at ThreadUp. Um <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh so how how long have you been at ThreadUp now? Uh, I'd been about three and a half years. Um, and it's funny when I look at, if you looked at my LinkedIn profile or if you looked at my resume, you'd see, you know, three and a half years at, at ropes and gray, three and a half years at Goodwin Proctor, three and a half years at rocket lawyer. And now I'm coming up on three and a half years at, at ThredUp. Um, but I think this is the first time where I'm like ready for the next three and a half years. So hopefully no, no, no other career moves to be made in the near future.
0: Well, that's great. Sounds like you found a home. What was the legal department like it, it uh, thread up when you got there and how's it, how's it grown or changed since
1: then? Sure. So um, actually much like rocket lawyer, I was the first lawyer into the company um, and sort of built the, the law firm, the, the legal department there from scratch. Um, so at thread up, Uh, the company had basically grown to a size uh, where they felt like it was time to bring some, to bring someone to build a legal department, manage the outside uh, legal spend and also develop, you know, all of the best practices that come along with building that legal department. So it went from zero to one immediately when I joined. And then at this point we have three lawyers total. So we're still a pretty small team. Um, We've got myself, another lawyer who's relatively senior. Um, she's got some great experience uh, also from law firms and larger um, companies. And then a junior person on our team who actually I recruited straight out of law school and, and trained myself. Um, and uh, just really proud of the way that the, the company or the, the legal department has developed like that. So the
0: first lawyer there, what is the legal department day to day at a company like ThreadUp look like? What's what's the function there?
1: Yeah, the the day to day function is um, really a smattering of different uh, silos of legal work that kind of just help the the business overall move forward. So we've got our fair share of marketing and product compliance work. We're like an e-commerce company that's very much consumer facing. So we constantly have um, you know offers out to our customers. Um, we've got a pretty complicated um, secondhand clothing marketplace. So we've got uh, customers that are suppliers of clothing and buyers of clothing. Um, so there's a fair amount of work with you know, our, our terms of use, um, our seller's terms that are constantly evolving as we launch new initiatives, new products, new campaigns. Um, we've got about 1,500 employees, believe it or not, across the United States Wow. Um, because we, op- we operate these large distribution centers. So, um, fair amount of uh, regulatory compliance work there and also, frankly, employment law work um, with, the, with the employee base. Um, we're venture backed and we've done a series of, of financing. So, um, we've got you know, a fair amount of corporate finance and investor relations work. Um, you know, we're, Everybody has privacy and security work these days, um, if you're online. So we've got a fair amount there, including, uh, you know, the, the CCPA nightmare that everybody has sort of recently gone through the last year. Um, and then, you know, a smattering of litigation and just, you know, troubleshooting and problem solving across the organization. Um, I think one of the things that gives us the most satisfaction is, you know, when the engineering team or the product team or, or, or the marketing team just comes to us with a problem that, you know, maybe there's a legal component, but it's just generally like a problem that they want solved. And they look to us as, you know, a team that's resourceful and that can kind of help them find their way.
0: No, so that's really interesting. It's something that we, we hear a lot on this podcast is uh, the interactions between legal teams and their, their technical counterparts. So it sounds like that's something that you've been successfully or that you've been able to successfully navigate there. Do you have any good examples of of uh, how that's worked in a positive outcome? Uh,
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So one of the great things about ThreadUp is, you know, it's a mission driven company. And um, we're regularly uh, trying to engage the customer base um, with, you know, the opportunity to sort of, you know, serve the greater good or, or incorporate, let's say like a charity or something like that in an initiative. And so um, one of the programs that we launched was this donation bag program. So typically a customer who sends in their clothing to thread up is sending it in and expecting, you know, to get a payout for the clothing that's accepted and ultimately listed online. Um, but we know a lot of the, a lot of our customers aren't really that interested in the payout for their clothing. They really just want to clean out their closet, um, but they also want an opportunity to, to do good while they're doing that. So we helped the engineering, marketing, and product team design this donation bag program where, you know, the customer legally donates the clothing to a charity but the bag of clothing the charity doesn't want that so the bag of clothing ends up getting delivered to ThreadUp anyhow but we end up purchasing the bag of clothing from the charity so in the end the customer um, feels good about sending in their clothing and, and uh, knowing that it's benefiting a charity they're getting that tax receipt the charity is getting um, money which is what they most want to to drive their mission and then at ThredUp, we're getting the clothing, and that's the ultimately the supply that drives our business. Um, and in order to do that, uh, there was, you know, a fair amount of, you know, structuring and, and legal analysis because there's a, there's a whole regulatory scheme for charitable donations, making sure we're doing it the right way, um, registering in the right states, and explaining to the customer exactly how the program works so they understand, you know, what they're getting what the charity's getting and what threadup's getting
0: that is pretty interesting um yeah i can imagine how that was probably a pretty interesting and challenging project those can be tough to navigate interesting thing about the threadup business it's just unique combination of tech consumer facing marketplace um distribution i'm sure that present some pretty unique challenges, you know, as a very small legal team. Any specific challenges that are unique to that type of business that come to mind?
1: So there's a number of unique challenges to thread up for sure. I mean, we are the largest, you know, online consignment and thrift store in the world. And we process millions of garments of, of used clothing from, that are all being sourced um, from the closets of, you know, of, of American women and children. Um, but I think the thing that makes ThredUP's legal department able to serve uh, the company best is not our ability to, to focus on, you know, one or two of those unique challenges. It's really about being resourceful and being fast, quite frankly. Um, everybody on the team, I would consider a generalist and, um, if you just have that problem solving orientation and you're looking to serve the business needs, you know, anything that comes our way is like something that we just, you know, grab with both hands, sink our teeth into, and really try to understand like what is ultimately driving the business. What does the stakeholder really want to accomplish? And then, um, you know, it sounds like a cliche, but it really rings true. You just can't be Dr. No. Um, as an in house lawyer, you really have to find a way to say yes, but here are three things to consider um, and maybe two of them aren't aren't big risks, but one of them is a big risk. So let's modify what you are trying to accomplish in this way. Um, I think just having that Approach or that orientation helps everything else fall into place. Practicing law, I think, in-house definitely is much more of a gray area. And especially, you know, you mentioned ThreadUp has a relatively complicated business. You know, we do. It's, it is technology. It's e-commerce. It's, you know, hundreds of employees in a distribution center working with tactile, you know, with clothing, and with the largest garment-on-hanger facility in North America. And there's a lot of stuff going on there. But at the end of the day, being open-minded and listening to what the folks who are running the business are trying to accomplish, that's really, you know, the most of the battle.
0: That's a great approach. How has that translated to how your departments have adop- adopted technology to, you know, is, is, is a way to solve some of those problems?
1: Yeah, I mean, look, we're, we're a small team, and so some of the things that I thought were table stakes for a company like ours in order for, you know, a functioning legal department to serve um, was to, you know, implement a contracts management solution from the get-go. And so in doing that, there was a fair bit of work to bring all of those legacy contracts into one central repository. I think that the way that I described it to the company when I came in was you know, first of all, I asked, where are all these contracts? And of course, you know, they, most people didn't know where they were. And then some people knew where some of them were, and they were totally, you know, uh, in in disparate places, and some were signed and unsigned, and it it was kind of a mess. And so just explaining to them that we needed like a single source of truth. Where are the final signed contracts? You know, when do they expire? When do they renew? All that kind of stuff. So, um, contracts management solution definitely was something we put in place. The next thing we did was overhaul the cap table management system, which is where like all of the all of the stock and stock options are sort of logged. So um, we had a very tight set to to help our investors and our employees understand what the ownership structure looked like. The third thing I, we did immediately was implement. A, like a legal invoicing system so that, you know, the legal team had an easy way to track, you know, what the legal spend was, which vendors we were using most frequently and, and just getting a handle on our budget overall. From there, we've, uh, we've created a legal wiki, which I actually would recommend to any company um, if they have the, the, the time and energy to do it. The legal wiki for us is basically serves a, a few different functions. Um, on the one hand, it's like the, the repository of all the kind of important policies and procedures that the, le- that the legal team has in place. It's got all of our forms and templates. Um, so that's useful for us, but we can also direct other people to self-serve there, like if they need an NDA or some sort of form. It also houses all of the corporate training videos that we've done. So um, you know, one way we, tr- we try to leverage technology there is, You know, we'll create a, you know, a a PowerPoint or some sort of presentation, let's say on attorney-client privilege or confidentiality or, or, you know, whatever the case may be. And we'll do a video and record it and we'll put it there. Um, So again, we can easily just link it out to the, to the team. And then we're just constantly trying to get better at stuff. We haven't quite cracked the code on um, a smooth intake form but I know that a lot of other companies have, you know, either used Google forms or something like that to just centralize the way any, anybody in the company can request legal work. And then from there, if they've got a a centralized way of doing it, you can actually create uh, metrics on like how quickly you're responding to the, to the intake request. Um, That's sort of the next phase for us.
0: A legal wiki. That sounds awesome. Uh, on the intake stuff, there's, uh, a prior podcast we recorded with uh, the GC and another attorney from Gusto, they use JIRA as their intake engine. It's pretty interesting. I'm sure you guys already have JIRA, but something that you should look into because it, it, it can drive all those metrics. I had never heard of that before. So one thing to look at.
1: Yeah, Absolutely. You know, on that point, the other thing that I have found to be extremely helpful for our team, just because we are only three lawyers, is really is is leveraging the network. There are so many small legal teams out there, and there are lots of different groups and forums where in-house lawyers are exchanging best practices and asking questions and really sort of using the power of that community to maximize their ability to impact, you know, their, their company internally. Um, And so when you mention, Oh, I know this other GC that's doing X, Y, and Z, it just reminds me like the more conversations that I end up having with other lawyers, the more I learn about, you know, the things that that other companies are doing. Um, And I really try to encourage, you know, every, every member of my team to do that and really maximize their network because it has a direct impact on, on the way we operate our, our department.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. I think, People are generally very open and willing to share some of the best practices um, and learn from others. It's uh, I've seen that a lot. You're involved
1: with TechGC as well, right? Yeah, TechGC has been actually a real uh, a really great tool for Thread up. Not not just the you know, ability to ask questions, you know, on a listserv that goes out to, you know, a couple hundred attorneys and, and, you know, crowdsourcing information, but just, you know, the opportunity to learn about uh, other companies and, and what they're doing. Um, it's, it's been great. Yeah. I, I hear that
0: all the time. Hear great things about, about Tech GC. Okay. So we've talked about, uh, A lot of success um, working with uh, other teams at ThreadUp and implementing technology and building your team there. There's got to be a time where you whiffed or missed the mark. Can you share any examples of that that we can learn from?
1: Sure. Yeah. No, I I missed the mark on a weekly, if not daily basis. So very, very comfortable talking to you about that. But I think the broader point there is sometimes when you rely on technology a little too much, Um, It can come at the cost of, you know, did you spend enough time cultivating the relationship, right? Like we definitely think it's an important thing to run an an efficient legal department, but ultimately, you know, all of those tools, all of the technology that we talked about, those are tactics. Um, The broader strategy is really to make the legal department as relevant, as impactful and as credible as possible in the company. And to us, that's done by creating this combo of elegant solutions, but also checking in with people, having the conversations, really understanding what's driving the business and what the stakeholders in, in your company, you know, whatever department they're in, what they're ultimately trying to accomplish and what's motivating them. Typically, when we miss the mark, it's when we just sort of you know, rely on technology too heavily and just send out a solution without really uh, diving deeper and connecting with the people that we work with.
0: Makes perfect sense. I think that's uh, that's great advice for legal departments and really anyone that wants to adopt technology, right? You have a, a unique background in that you've actually been in-house counsel at a legal tech company like Rocket Lawyer before you came to Up. And I think that that would give you some pretty interesting perspectives on um, you know what the future holds for the legal profession in general, especially in light of right, the current environment where we're all remote, um, everything is very technology-based, our ability to collaborate, um, our ability to, for lawyers to provide advice, really the ability for businesses and consumers to consume legal advice and services you know, is, is just different right now. So I, I'd love to, to kind of pivot the conversation to talk about that because I do think, well, I for one would be really interested to hear what you have to say about that.
1: Sure. Yeah. So one of the things that really drew me to Rocket Lawyer was the mission. Um, and the mission at Rocket Lawyer really was all about democratizing access to legal services and the, you know, the, the brilliant, um, Business idea that that Charlie Moore, the founder there, had early on was to bring all of these legal documents online and sort of make them into like a like a choose-your-own-adventure, so you could you know answer a bunch of questions that were you know really easy to sort of um, digest, and then the the system would generate the the document for you, um, and it would you know sort of all make sense. Um, and to me more and more you know even as an in-house lawyer the way i practice i mean i'm constantly finding a form online that i think is like you know 50 percent of the way there in, in terms of what my use case is for it and then i'm able to, to modify it just because i've got you know 10 or 15 years of legal experience and, and kind of know what i'm doing there but for non-lawyers and just for like the general public to have a tool like that that helps them generate what they need is you know, fantastic. And then to be able to do it at an extremely low cost is like truly disruptive you know, in, in, the, in that sense. Taking off from legal documents, to me, you know, at this point, especially what we're experiencing with the, the coronavirus pandemic, it just really makes sense for so much of this stuff to move online in a, in a world that's gonna be increasingly distributed whether you're you know, working with your employees remotely or whether you just don't have the ability to, to drive an hour to like your local courthouse and fill out a form and turn it in. Really, all of those things should be done online. Um, one, of those, one of the things that um, I worked on at Rocket Lawyer and that I wasn't able to bring to fruition, but I, I just think that the concept really is gonna make sense is bringing dispute resolution totally online, whether that's for like small things or larger things. Um, and that could be done through the court system. It could be done through private arbitration. Um, there's, there's lots of kind of ways to get there, but ultimately, you know, you know in, our, in our everyday life and in business and, and in other areas, you know, we are dealing with disputes and it's just so expensive to try to manage those through our traditional institutions and systems. Um, to me, there's, there's just every reason in the world to bring that online and to make the, the overall cost much lower. So I think the future is headed that way. I think this coronavirus pandemic is actually going to create some seismic shifts in the way that our economy works and also in the way that our legal system works. I couldn't agree more. I think you, you nailed it. I'll give you a small example, actually. <laughs> um, Please do. You know, so, so at Up, the corporate office actually had a relatively easy time transitioning to a full-time work-from-home model because we had these days called maker days. So at ThreatUp, maker days are Tuesdays and Thursdays where everybody is allowed to work from home or from wherever they want to. So we, we had these two days where everybody was already working in a distributed way. And now we've gone to five days of, of distributed work. And one of the lawyers on my team is, manages some of the more government-facing regulatory issues, has to get documents uh, signed and also notarized. And she asked me, like, is there a notary that you want to go visit? And, and she, she's like, I'll email you the document. You can go notarize it and, and send it in. And, you know, that used to be the way we did things. But now, like, I have no interest in going to an in-person notary I don't know if notaries are even, you know, open at this point. And so the first thing we did was, was ask ourselves, like, how can we solve this problem um, given the fact that nobody can really leave their house? And then I remembered, Oh yeah. When I was working at rocket lawyer and we were monitoring, you know, all of the like legal innovations that were coming out online notary was definitely one of them. And I know that, you know, in certain States, it wasn't legal in other States. it, It was legal and they were sort of you know, relying on uh, the commerce clause to make it, if it's legal in one state, then it, then it should be accepted by other states. So we immediately shifted our like the, notary, um, the notary services that we needed to online. That's like born out of a requirement, but my expectation is that companies like that are gonna just explode out of this pandemic and, and be so relevant to all businesses.
0: Yeah, it, that is a great point. I mean, a lot of those things, right? Dispute resolution, notaries, the way we deal with the court systems, it's all been such a slow-moving evolution over the past 15 years. And there's really no choice right now. You know, I mean, it's they, they have to innovate. Because um, you're right, I, nobody wants to go find a physical notary right now. I don't even know if that's allowed, is that, uh, (laughs) it's, you know, it's
1: it's a a public health risk, right? Um, you know, taking your thumbprint and all that kind of stuff. Traditionally there has been this battle between these innovative legal tech companies. I'm thinking of Avvo, Clio, Rocket Lawyer, um, LegalZoom uh, companies like that, that are really bringing the power of the internet to the legal system and there's, they've been met with such resistance from the state bars um, and, and sort of the the, the legal inst- industries institutions. And I think there are forward-thinking people in all of those institutions, but but they have had trouble dragging kind of the older guard with them. And I think that uh, you know what we're experiencing right now is really going to be. You know, wind at the sail of of the innovators who are trying to move things forward, and I'm I'm hopeful that the folks that uh, you know are in charge of all the rules of professional responsibility um, and at the state bars are really taking a hard look at, at these innovations, because ultimately it's not about protecting the the institution of, of you know or or the lawyers; it's really about protecting people who are getting. Um, services right we're really trying to focus on you know, making lives easier and really enabling people who can provide legal services to to those just to have as many tools at their disposal so that um again we, we can expand the the access to justice that that all of those tech companies are really focused on
0: well and this has been great one more question that i think uh would be would be good for people to hear uh just because you do have such an interesting background um do you have any advice for people out there that are just starting in-house or thinking about transitioning to in-house and, and you know, how they can navigate building an in-house team in a tech company?
1: Yeah, definitely. Just a few things that I think are, are important um, that I've learned from practicing with my team. You know, to me, the, the skill set for the future for in-house counsel is really all about, you know, getting comfortable being a generalist who maybe doesn't know everything, but is just extremely resourceful and can get access to information quickly um, and then distill it in a way that's digestible for your team. Um, that's one thing. I think another thing is just getting comfortable in different types of communication formats. Um, there's definitely a time and place to be formal and to write a memo that's comprehensive but there's also a way to deliver legal advice in a super informal, quick soundbite way. Um, you know, we use Slack as our you know, instant messaging communication tool and um, it's really forced us to be um, really brief and pithy with the way that we kind of deliver a response to um, our stakeholders. And then now that we're really you know, in a distributed world, um, it's just so important to know how to run a meeting um, or even manage a project uh, when you're not in the same room with everyone else. And to me, that, that means you know, showing up to a meeting with an agenda, um, get it, giving a chance for everybody to, to talk and participate, and then you know, closing the meeting um, with you know, what are the outcomes or what are the next steps, really driving things forward. Um, and then I guess lastly, and we touched on this earlier, it's so important to have a network to rely on. Keeping up to date on trends, uh, understanding the best practices that other companies are using. Those are really the, some of the best ways to, to stay current.
0: It's all great advice. Well, Lon, this has been great. Thank you so much for joining me. Be safe.
1: Thanks, Brian. This was fun. I'll talk to you soon.